This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. Welcome back to Manifest Mindset. Um, Nick, how are you doing today? Bob, I'm fantastic, my friend. Hanging right in there. Um, it was a good day in the clinic today. Perfect. You still staying healthy? You know, I think health is a relative term. Health is a spectrum. I got a pulse. I got a good attitude. Um, we're doing A-OK. What about you, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. <laughs> so I do have a question yeah. for you. So normally okay. when you – when you're in California, you do have like a gym that you're access to, but like with the coronavirus and all that, how are you dealing with staying fit and staying like healthy and, and working out things like that? Absolutely, Bob. Um, so normally, you know, I get a good big workout in, I kind of sweat a good amount. So I'm making up for sweating by crying. I'm sad. I'm stressed. I know <laughs> to go to, oh man, I'm just soaking myself in tears. No, I'm kidding. Um, but that's a really good question. You know, there are challenges. Um, going on with that. So what I did for myself, have you heard of mace training before? Uh, the thing that you bought recently? The thing I bought recently, yes, sir. So no, I, I, do I don't know much about it, but, but yes, go okay. ahead. So I've been doing a lot of that. Um, and it's really cool. It's kind of like some like off-balance training, um, throwing that thing around. Um, so I don't use it much for just like throwing into objects, but getting a lot of heavy resisted work in and different positions, kind of treating the whole body as a three-dimensional movement-expressing machine. And so I'm having some fun playing with that, playing with some new things. And actually, it's uh, even more, not that I was not motivated for mobility work in the past, but this uh, gets me even more specifically motivated for mobility work because I can see a direct, tangible outcome. Certain ways I would work out before certain things. Like, yeah, I can get by without having a uh, nth degree mobility. But now with this, it's like, okay, if I want to express this certain rotational movement, dude, I've just I've got to have it to have it. And so it's even better motivation to really get after it. So I like that a lot. Um, on Mondays, can I tell you about what I do on Mondays? Uh, no. Okay, sweet. I, I love what I do on Mondays, Bob. So on Mondays at my work, we, um, I'm working at a little bit more of a chill facility. And we've got a little bit, uh, slightly bit more time between patients with this whole telehealth thing going on. So um, on Monday in the gym, me and actually my preceptor, my mentor too, we have different exercises that throughout the day we try and hit a certain number of total reps by the end of the day. Um, so on Mondays what I do is um, by the end of the day for each hand, I'll get um, bottom-up uh, shoulder press, one-arm shoulder press, with the dumbbell kind of on the bottom-up style. And I've recently uh, got to be – today was um, – yesterday was the first Monday I was able to do it with 40 pounds um, the entire time. A couple weeks previously, I was able to do it with 40 pounds, but by the end of the day, I was dipping down one level. Um, so that felt pretty darn good, getting the shoulders. Uh, then uh, we got a 70-pound kettlebell that I uh, – by the end of the day, I got 300 uh, remaining deadlifts with. Um, so wow. pretty good. Um, it's getting the reps in. Uh, then, yeah, so that's still kind of uh, that's my Monday. I do a ton of mace work. Um, on other days, um, when I'm in the gym for my um, evolution job, we've got so a little bit of small equipment in there. So sometimes when I close up at the end of the day, I'll stay for an extra 30 minutes to get like a, a, a cycle bike ride in. They've got um, some weights that I can load up on for myself a little bit. So 
do some uh, on Sunday. I did some heavy lunches in there uh, after a telehealth session I had scheduled. So I've got access to some weights I can do, but certainly uh, not as consistent. Um, I did have a jump rope. Dude, the jump rope broke. So uh, I've got to get that fixed. And by fixed, I mean order a new one. So I did order a new one and hoping to get back on that cardio game with the jump rope. Um, so, yeah, Bob, that's what I do. What are you doing, my friend? So I know that you enjoy working out and uh, you've been into more of the CrossFit style as of late. Yeah, and I, I actually been doing – so I bought a jump rope, too. I bought a, a pull-up bar. So I've been doing home workouts pretty much consistently um, every day. I've been running more. Um, and I think it really goes to show, like, both of us, we've, we're both, like, highly into fitness and staying healthy. Um, and even in this coronavirus time when the gyms are shut down, when the CrossFit gyms boxes are shut down, we're still at home with that intrinsic motivation, still trying to get after it. So – I think that's a great takeaway um, that if the intrinsic motivation is still there, even with all these things, all these things going on, we're still getting after it. Absolutely. But there's a will, there's a way. I just want to know who will is. <laughs> so Nick, is there something you wanted to talk about uh, today on the podcast? You know, Bob, coming into this, I didn't have anything like, mm, like I got to get it out there. Um, Oh, I can certainly come up with something if you if you're stalling out too, buddy. But uh, you got anything well, in your back pocket there? Um, well, I, I wanted to touch upon the goals, the accountability goals for last week. So we both had some sort of accountability things that we set for each other. Um, so for me, it was to read a textbook, uh, like a hundred, hundred, another hundred pages, which I finished today. Um, and then you set a goal of doing some content courses over the weekend. I think you had like three, two or three courses um, yeah. that you were so planning on doing. These aren't certainly, you know, they weren't crazy long courses. Two of them were webinars. Um, I actually ended up doing four because um, I had another uh, hour and a half concussion-based webinar that got started there. That, that was actually a really good one. Um, I'm excited I did that. So I had uh, two webinars. I had a shoulder webinar. Um, that was like an hour and a half by uh, Kevin Wilk out of the group with uh, – Dr. David Andrews, who uh, operates on all the baseball pitchers. Yep. And I had a, and I think he's in the D.C. type area, I want to say. Of course, now I say that a lot, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. But anyways, uh, I'm on the East Coast more and definitely far south of, uh, it may be near Georgia. Okay, anyways, I'm making a fool of myself. I'm going to stop while I'm west behind, not ahead because I'm not ahead. Um, then, Bob, I had a um, concussion one, and that was really good. Uh, whether I didn't have a concussion, but I learned more about uh, concussions. And it was a great kind of refresher from some of the things we learned in school and some other courses along the way. So that was fantastic. Um, then I did a team science course from uh, clinical athlete by Jared Maynard. And that course was uh, free complimentary at the time. And so that was really good to be able to do. And so all those are totally free. The yeah, other wow. one, yeah, so the, again, there is so many and I, I just got on Facebook recently. I just got on Instagram over the last, like, what, three months? And I had some apprehension about it because, listen, I'm not into that stuff too much, but just, like, the amount of information that's out there, the amount of stuff that you can get these days, um, it's absurd not to take advantage of something and to do a tiny bit of something, even one little thing every week. You can get a ton out of it. Um, and even, like, you know, sign up for these webinars, and they'll, you, even if you know you can't make it, They'll give you a free recording most of the time that you can access later on. So, 
I freaking love it, dude. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's like they say, like, the information's out there. As long as you, like, actively want to learn and, and reach and get it, it's, it's out there for you to learn. Um, Absolutely. Um, then I did one of the course, which I did pay for a while back. Um, this was a course about becoming a um, sports physical therapist, entrepreneur, um, somebody out there who can you can start your own uh, physical therapy kind of side hustle consulting business. And that was from a good new friend of mine, uh, Brian Schwabe. He's one of the co-founders of the Student Physical Therapist, and I highly recommend this course. Um, first of all, great guy getting to know him and everything and uh, hang out with him a bit. But he, he did a great job. He's got some practical experience, and I loved him, man. Now, what was, what was a, a big takeaway or a key takeaway from the any of the courses or Absolutely. any of the webinars? Okay. I'll hit um, – how about this? I'll hit. I got four. I got four bumps. You get to choose two. Um, you get to tell me, hey, is it shoulder? Hey, is it concussion? Is it pain science? Or is it the entrepreneurial one? What two let's do you want do, to uh, Let's do the pain science and the entrepreneurial one. Okay. Okay. I like it. Let's go with pain science first. For me, for again, I've had some pain science background, not the most comprehensive, but decently comprehensive. So for this course, focusing with athletes, Kind of the number one thing that I took away in terms of ways of articulating and describing it is for patients and anybody really, their prior perception of pain of experiences is so intimately tied with the expectations that we give them and they place upon themselves, and that kind of the rationale for how they start to have these allogenic experiences, which is a non a typical non painful stimulus. Eliciting pain for them. Some of the rationale behind that goes in terms of, hey, what are your expectations for this? Let's talk about before about positive and negative expectations weigh so heavy, and people automatically dichotomize themselves. If they expect to be in pain, if they expect something to damage, if they expect something to hurt, they're going to actually feel that hurt, feel that pain before the event even happens. Um, and so the way that as a motor neuron circuitry. Is wired up in the brain. It's pretty fascinating. Um, and then going off of that too, um, with the way that their perception changes, it's no longer accurate. We get actual changes in allodynic responses in the spinal cord itself, in the lamina, in the dorsal horn, where the lamina we learned about is kind of lamina one through five. Um, the, some of the lamina start blurring together, so that where there are typically um, noxious stimuli coming through, those are maintained. And some of those noxious stimuli actually bleed in over into other areas that are more neutral or changing areas. So there are actual changes in the spinal cord itself based on our perception in the brain. Yeah, it's it's like that. Or another way to put it, I guess, would be like there's there's that smudging, like the cortical smudging of the, like the brain signals. And and then I, I think where you're getting at is telling the athlete or, or whoever has the pain that, that the pain doesn't really necessarily equal harm. Um, so I really like that. That's a great takeaway. Absolutely. And then for the entrepreneurial side, um, you just you laid out a really good system for, hey, if you want to um, basically, okay, we'll, we'll zoom out for a minute, Bob, and I'll take you through a kind of simple approach. We've talked about this too, about kind of finding your why, but then after you really find your why, dig deep, right? Ask your kind of five levels of why. Why do you want it? Because of this. Why do you want that? Why, why, why? Once you have that, it's all about here are the steps. 
what kind of, again, from the sports perspective, what kind of athletes do you want to work with as far as score, whether it's overhead athlete, you know, sprinting athlete, whatever it might be, or certain sports, find those groups in the area. And then once you find those groups, think about, okay, what connections do you have? How can you leverage yourself? As we've talked about before, Bob, it's usually less about the strong connections and more about those kind of loose connections, the people that are very willingly, willingly able to uh, leverage themselves and help each other out professionally. That's what we're really trying to chase after as we go after this. Um, and once you get those connections, it's all about, hey, you get in there, you have a proven template of, hey, here's my system I work with. Um, what are you looking for in your athletes? How can I best accommodate that? And always having options, having, you know, kind of three tiers of things that way you can always upsell and cross-sell to continuously provide value, but do it in ways that are very efficient for you that actually don't take too much more energy so you can give the perception of adding a ton more value and you are adding more value, but really you're staying efficient within your own means. Too. Yeah, wow. I like it. Those are nice, good lessons. Yeah, so, you know, it, when you boil it down, when you think about it, it is relatively um, transparent, it's simple, and it requires your follow-up and your action. But I like the way that they articulate it, and I like the angles that they gave on it. And oftentimes, like we said, it's not – like when we go to these courses, it's not about, oh, my gosh, every single fact they say is brand new. No, a lot of it a lot of it makes sense. Some things are different, different perspectives. But oftentimes, just like 10% of the information is new, right? Um, yeah. And so how can you leverage the 10% and develop it into a new context? Yeah, I think also to add on to that, it's probably the 10% or it could even just be one thing that you take away and apply it and then it actually, and like you actually work on it. Um, so like it actually makes a difference in your life or other people's lives. So I think that's like the 10% that I'm adding on to what you're saying. So, so, yeah, There are a lot of um, entrepreneurs out there and not just in the physical therapy world, but they'll talk about, any investment that you make in yourself to better yourself and you relentlessly go through the effort of applying it, they estimate that you'll get payoff for that monetary investment 10 to 30-fold of that. And, you know, if we think about any stock market, we talked about investment a few weeks ago, Bob, anytime we can get even double of what we invest is absolutely insane, crazy, and amazing. Talking about 10 or 30-fold, that's huge. Yeah. I think so, so far we've been talking about mostly like an accountability checkup. So basically we talked about the goals that we set and then we just reiterated what the goals are. We, we checked up on fitness. I want to shift more a little bit physical therapy wise. So you mentioned pain science, concussion, and uh, shoulder for the webinars. I, I'm curious about like what your population you're seeing as of now is in both Evolve and Kaiser. Mm, great question, Bob. I'm not letting you up hook that fast. I need one takeaway from your 100 pages of reading. And again, it can be in the brand new or can be something I was reading for. What is the one thing out of probably many that you're like, hey, this was great, this was valuable, I like this concept? So it, it's a so, – so I read basically the, the volume two of the McKenzie Lumbar textbook. So with the McKenzie approach, they do, like, repeated movements to find, like, a specific movement that helps reduce symptoms. Um and their whole thing is exhausting the sagittal plane first before um, going to any other plane. So working on so doing repeated movements, reflection, extension, unloaded, loaded, all of those things. Um, one of the biggest takeaways that I got 
was that if somebody is reporting like they're worsening with sitting and walking, um, ask, so so that's both a flexion aggravation and extension aggravation with sitting and uh, walking with extending. So if they're reporting both, it's hard to like find like a direction of preference for reduction in symptoms. Um, so based on like McKenzie, Robin McKenzie's clinical experience, most of these patients actually have some sort of lateral component. So they'll probably respond more to like side, repeated side glides or extension with lateral a lateral component. So I I thought that was probably the most the biggest takeaway that I'm probably going to use in my practice. Just this idea of if somebody reports in the in the subjective history that walking plus walking aggravates symptoms and sitting aggravates symptoms or any sort of flexion and extension activities they both aggravate symptoms that could indicate like a lateral component to repeated movement testing. So that was no problem. Well, let me, let me follow up on that with one question because out of my curiosity. Now, from implementing that in a clinical reasoning perspective for the uh, McKenzie or mechanical diagnosis and therapy or treatment therapy, um, if you get that subjective report, in your mind, are you still clearing the um, sagittal plane first or are you just skipping right to lateral plane, the lateral, the frontal plane, and seeing where they take you? So this is also something else I read and I also took away. So the, you always, no matter what, you always start with sagittal. You always finish exhausting the sagittal unless they have, like, a physical lateral deformity. So, like, their hips are shifted completely one way and you can, like, visibly see that. That's the only time you would start lateral. Um, that's that's And then everything else is sagittal. Okay. So um, we're saying that when uh, Shakira came out with the song, Hips Don't Lie, she was right in the money. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I thought, especially the second textbook, the first textbook was more like anatomy-based. I was kind of more out of date, but the second textbook was really where, like, the treatment style and, and where the the gold for, I guess, the McKenzie method is. So I, I'm really enjoying it. There's still 100 pages left in the book, which hopefully I'm going to set for next week and read it. Um, and then maybe I'll give you another fun fact about McKenzie, so, or the McKenzie method. Well, but. Yeah, let's – do you want any more? Oh, no, do you have well, any other, I, other questions? I have satisfied my cravings for now. Perfect. But thank you for, for keeping me to the fire, Nick. I appreciate that. Um, but, but going back to the question, so you, like I said before, you watched the webinar on shoulder concussions um, and pain signs. I was curious about, like, the patient population. You're, like, treating – like at Evolve and Kaiser, how many people have you seen so far with, that use, like, a pain signs approach? Have you used all of them? Uh, like paint science approach with all of them, um, things like that. Absolutely. Um, so I'll talk about the two uh, two populations a little bit differently in terms of really contrasting my experience with evolution and then with Kaiser because they are different patient populations. Um, I will say that from my perspective, utilizing the paint science approach is really sprinkling that in and kind of giving it, if we talk about, you know, their method of grade exposure, well, let's have great exposure with the pain science we recommend. So it's not anytime you're working with people's beliefs, you don't want to inherently bombard them all the time. It's just gentle, gradual poking to kind of nudge them in the right direction, pry them in interesting ways. And like anybody who's really good at what they do, you make them think that they came up with the idea themselves. You know they didn't. You know that you set them up for it, but you make them think that they thought of something different themselves because then it has much more power in it. They believe it much more. 
and that's where the power comes in. Um, so, as, but as far as patient population, oh no, here's where I was going with that. Um, the role in my mind about pain science is not necessarily to quote unquote fix the broken, fix the people who are chronic and uh, crippled and having a hard time for relationships with their pain and their function. That is a role of it. I think the primary role is actually to keep people in more of the use the biopsychosocial model with the pain science to actually keep people more so in the functional focus, but also in the actual to bring them back to biomedical a little bit so that their pain and their symptoms do better correlate with actual tissue healing and tissue processes so that we can prevent people from hitting chronicity in whatever form it takes. And so I think that, you know, where we see that, you know, 80 to, you know, 70 to 80% of low back pain or other issues will eventually heal in terms of maybe not ideal function pain over a certain period of time, over a six month or a year. We have to be better than that. So what we're doing is we're really working to present that 20, 30% that are likely to develop chronicity. And that's kind of the spongeable approach that I like to take with that. There's enough of that nonsense. Um, patient population. I would say at evolution, uh, uh, sorry, Blue Kaiser first, at Kaiser, the, so the typical setup um, pre-corona, right? Oh, um, first of all, happy single de Mayo, my friend. We oh, got, yeah. We got a single de Mayo, we got a Taco Tuesday, and we have both those days being stopped by a beer, by Corona. What are <laughs> ironies of this, man? You're right. <laughs> Anyways, yes. anyways, it's uh, find your beach, Corona. Or maybe that's why all the people are scared away from the beaches. Anyways, um, Kaiser, the youngest patient that I've seen, I want to say they're 13. That sounds about right. Youngest patient, 13. Oldest, um, I want to say 90. I might have saw a 93-year-old. Um, on average... Average patient is probably around 60 or so. You know, you certainly get, um, I'm seeing a few people in their 20s for sure, definitely some people in the middle of 40s. Um, you get some older people too. So it's a, that's kind of your general orthopedic population. Um, a lot of back pain, a lot of knee pain, a lot of shoulders. Um, and those are, you know, you see a little bit of everything. I've definitely seen TMJ, definitely seen a ton of neck pain. Um, yeah, I've seen some foot fractures. Anything goes, really. It's a big medical center. We've got a lot of opportunities. Um, so that's kind of the population for that, Bob. Um, comparing that to evolution, where I'd say that's more of a sport and active um, style for our patient orthopedic. Um, average age there is, I'd probably say, late 30s for people. Um, I think I've only treated, since I've been there, I've only treated two patients who are older than 65. Um, I treated, you know, probably another three or four that are like 63, so right on the edge. Um, but they're more active, right? Um, they're doing a lot of stuff. One of them um, has skied every year of his life, except for this past year from injury he's recovering from, and that's why I'm helping him out. Um, one of them had a semi-early onset. Uh, kind of knee away that he's battling, but still trying to hike a ton and do a lot of stuff like that. 
Um, we but we got a ton of really active people, a ton of people doing some really cool stuff, getting them back to high level function. Um, so you know, I got a guy right now that you know meditates for two hours a day. Is a the CEO of his business does a ton of surfing and everything. We got to get him back from that after a meniscal surgery. Um, got somebody else who's coming in that, you know, they honestly, their shoulder mobility sucks. They're having some pain, some clicking, and they're toughing it out of the gym or previously the gym. They just want to be able to bang out 50 pull-ups in a workout, not necessarily in a row, and be fine with it. So we're seeing him for that. Um, so I think there's a ton of variety, but definitely a lot more of a, active-minded community, you know, I'm treating more, uh, you know, I'm treating some personal trainers there and stuff, so definitely um, a high-activity load. Yeah, and when you're talking about this, it really, like, goes to show that, like, specificity of, like, targeting a niche really does work. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like at Kaiser, there's, it's just mostly just general orthopedics. There's not really a specific niche, but then for this other more active population place, that's literally um, – what it all pretty much is. And I think Absolutely. that's like what their marketing is. And I think, I think it's cool, but for me stepping into there, because I say for a lot of the other clinicians at, at my, at my site specifically, you know, their favorite are they enjoy treating the knee. They enjoy treating the ankle and hip a little bit. Um, some people, the shoulder a tiny bit. And so I'm, we don't have anybody in my facility who's like, damn, I love the back. I love the neck. They're like, bro, Give me, give me a knee once in a while. You take all my back and all my neck. And I'm like, wait, man, I'm loving it. Like, probably that's my ideal population is, is whether it's, you know, like some radiculopathy, some where it's like low extremity related uh, neck or back pain, um, or back pain itself or movement complexes from hip. I had some kind of like 40 year olds where they have kind of chronic low back pain because they're doing like CrossFit high level activity workouts. They're never taught to move properly. Dude, I love that stuff. So I love working with a really active population for uh, spine pain. And I'm able to create kind of a niche, another niche within that community environment myself, within that practice, and I love it. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds like you're way more passionate about this population than any other population you've worked with so far. Which, I, which I, is- I, definitely, I, I definitely am, and, you know, I think that, you know, I'm passionate mostly about individuals, right? About the individual people in front of me and hearing their story and knowing how we can intervene. Uh, I mean, I had one telehealth visit today, Bob, where I spent a third of the visit uh, talking to this guy about um, the rent. He had a, his, like his house, he bought, he fixed up, and his uh, renters, his neighbors that have lived there um, on his roof every night for the last, like, three years that have never paid rent, and they're a bunch of raccoons. Um, so he was telling me about bringing stuff up for that. And um, anyway, um, so it's about hearing from people, their stories, how you can involve them in their life. I got a guy recovering from stroke right now that literally um, he's like eight visits in with me. And the first three were in person and the rest are telehealth now. I've got him like kicking a, like kicking a soccer ball against the wall after he plays with like his foreign, like nine-year-old son for a while. He's kicking the soccer ball against the wall. I, you know, I recommended that, you know, he does it for, you know, five minutes a day, make sure he gets minimum. Dude, he comes back this week. We get on the, we get talking again. He's been doing it for half an hour because he fucking loves it so much. And it's a great balance and a great challenge for him. Um, so it's little moments like that where it really lights me up where it's like, okay, we can involve ourselves in these people's lives and make a, a really positive difference and just unlock these 
functional potential for them, and dude, I have a blast with it. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. And like a takeaway, as I'm like listening to you, like somebody that's like listening to this podcast can be like, oh my god, Nick is so lucky. He's so lucky to have this great job that he's passionate about. He must have had so many like networking opportunities to get this position. He must have been. very super lucky, super qualified, super talented. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think you just literally just found this place and, and applied, and like called them up and applied, and you, that's how you got them. Got the yeah. position. That, that's so, exactly what it was, Bob. I um I applied. It was actually uh, not even on my top list right away. Um, and this was for a secondary job outside of the residency. Um, and Bob, after I so I think I applied to 11 places total. Um, I got interviews, phone interviews, and then follow-up in-person interviews with nine of them. Um, and I think out of those, I got like seven different job offers. Um, and when choosing this place, it was not the highest paid at all. Um, I had one that was in it. I had one that I could have take, taken that was $15 an hour higher than this one. Um, so a substantial increase. But it wasn't the fit for me. It wasn't the vibe wasn't what I was looking for. And surely they don't pay me bad here. So I'm not trying to get off that they're scamming me or anything. They're very respectable. They break their employees. But I'm not saying it's because it's cheesy. It was just, it was a great freaking family feel. Um, they had a lot of flexibility. It was a mission that I believed in. Um, and it's been a ton of fun. And I, I love it. And it instantly, I knew I made the right choice. And it's always reinforced. So I think that you, you attract, like you put out, what you want to attract to you. And when you're really genuine and you come off with this genuine energy, um, people can, can feel that. So for as far as the population, I'm far, far more passionate about the population I have at Evolution. So the discrepancy isn't far. It's like 100% compared to 90%, right? Um, but then for Kaiser, I'm far more passionate about all the learning opportunities and incredible clinicians that they have there. Um, it's freaking amazing, man. So I think I got a little taste of best of both worlds, but... Keeps me busy, that's for sure, my man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, well, the reason why I bring that up, like bring this topic up, is like you you just went after it and found all these places on your own. It wasn't like they were given to you, or and like if somebody's at like a at a physical therapy job that they really hate or like don't really see them progressing or, or find please. them unfulfilled, please, um, please, you 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 spend at least six years probably seven, if not more, getting ready for the opportunity, why would you keep yourself in misery? I mean, exactly. it's like th- th- there are people yes. out there who said, like, you know, they don't like being lawyers, right, like at all being lawyers. So why are they still why are they still lawyers, Bob? Because they spent 10 years of their life getting ready to be a lawyer and being a lawyer, and they don't want to waste all those 10 years. Well, all you're doing is the rest of the, you're wasting the rest of your life by still being a lawyer. Dude, you're not wasting these years of physical therapy training. You've already been a physical therapist. It's literally just packing up and leaving and changing jobs. And, you know, of course, leaving respectively, not, you know, being a jerk about it, being very professional. But don't be miserable. There's, I mean, life is too damn good for that. Yeah. And and just as Nick, as an example, like some, somebody might be thinking, listening to this podcast, oh, how do I just leave? Well, Nick shows an example of how he applied to, 11 different places and got so many job offers that so many different opportunities and, and the opportunities out there. If you just look for it, that's, that's what I believe. And, uh, and I will say Bob, that just because you leave or you change doesn't mean you have to do it in a bad way. Like some of these other places that, um, 
that I applied to that I, I turned down their offer. Um, I'm still in contact with some of them. Not that I'm trying to, you know, sneak out a job from them, but because I genuinely care and they're good people. It's like I'll catch up with one person, um, you know, every three weeks or so. And I, when this whole thing was going on, I messaged a couple of the places that I really liked and said, hey, I'm sure it's a struggle right now. Just wanted to check in, make sure things are okay. Um, and, you know, they, they really appreciated that. And I was doing it because it's genuine and because I care. So whether you're doing it because you're genuine, whether you're doing it because you want to fake it a little bit, um, you know, that's between you and you and your ethics. Um, but I think it, I think it goes a long way to show these relationships are about far more than just making a job. And I know for myself, I'll be making a splash out here in LA. That's for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing to hear. So I think that's a great place to put a pin in this episode. Nick, do you want to add anything else? No, Bob, I got to say, you're a, you're a patient man for putting up with me. And whenever you start talking about stuff I'm passionate about, which does overlap a lot and you do a lot of it. So good for you. It's always a dangerous pill to swallow. Cause as you know, I get off of my tangents a little bit. No, I enjoy it. It's it's very inspiring. It's, it's that's my fire lit up too. Of like, oh, this man's so passionate out there in California by himself, um, and everybody else should take him as an example. Keeps me sleeping well at night, man. Yeah. So one thing I, I would like to say, accountability for next week. I like to finish my book. Just another last hundred pages. Do you want to set anything account for me to keep you accountable? Wise. I mean, you're probably going to do it either way but just for the podcast sake you want to say yeah, anything? yeah for the podcast sake i like it and and again keeping this legit so next weekend we have another weekend off actually um this past weekend was a really good weekend about um you know uh learning education getting that i want this weekend to be about just like flow and just feeling good and doing little things that just make me a better person for myself and i you know yesterday was the first day i dribbled a basketball in like a month and a half so it's going to sound weird. This isn't our typical, like, oh, go be crazy intellectual, go learn a bunch of stuff, go be badass. It's like, dude, my accountability is making sure I've got a specific park picked out. I'm going to go to a park early in the morning on Saturday morning and just shoot around basketball by myself for an hour or so. Uh, honestly, knowing me, I'll probably stay for like three hours if I tell myself an hour, but that's okay because I don't got any plans anyways. Um, so doing some social distancing, but do it on my own terms, getting back on the court a little bit to shoot around. That's perfect. I love it. That's a that's a great goal. I hope you have fun. Thanks, Bob. I hope you have fun too, man. All right. Thank you. It's actually my last week of classes this week. And the Let's next week is final go. week. The next week is final. Okay. So we may be pushing, we may be changing the podcast time because this podcast is important. This podcast is great. But this podcast is merely a documentation and the understanding of our life and the conversations we always have. I can't F up finals for that, man. You know, because you've got to live it before you talk about it, right? You got to walk before you can talk. Perfect. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll be in conversation. It may be a little bit longer than a week, whatever it is, but we'll make it happen. And I know and get those hundred pages read and you know, I'm going to be balling my heart out. Perfect. All right. I'll see you then.